Ugly, Chapter 20, Growing Up Slow. Nowhere ever will you find a worse example of humanity than grade nine boys. That included me. At some stage that year, a bunch of us decided that filling our mouths up with water at a drinking fountain and spitting it at our classmates was the coolest way we could spend our time. Extra points were awarded if you could squirt water over someone's shirt just before class resumed, so they'd have to sit there soaking wet, looking stupid. At first, we tried to act casual as if our mouths weren't full of water, but it was pretty hard convincing someone you weren't going to squirt water on them when you couldn't talk. Soon people began running after each other to deliver a mouthful. I was neither fast enough to run after people, nor fast enough to escape when they came after me, so I got drenched. I sat with Robert F. one lunchtime just before classes resumed, soaked in water. This is an issue that must be addressed, I said. What are you going to do? Robert F. asked. I've got an idea, I told him. I spied an empty shampoo bottle of Mom's in the bathroom a few days earlier. It was long and slender and small enough to fit into my pocket. I rinsed it out, brought it to school, and filled it with water. While I still didn't have the speed of other kids, my weapon had significantly better range. This was a major escalation. It moved the fight in the quadrangle from one-on-one spit-and-run attacks to something more serious. For a few glorious days, I had the upper hand. I'd hold the shampoo bottle by my side and squirt an enemy combatant as, it walked by, as I walked by. Or I'd poke my head around the corner of a building and wait until I could squirt someone, then quickly duck back away unseen. Then other kids realized they could do the same thing. Next, some genius figured out that because the liquid we were squirting at each other was no longer carried in the mouth, it could be something other than water. There we were, filling our bottles with water and toothpaste and shampoo and squirting each other. I took part, lest I get left behind in the arms race. My preferred concoction was about three parts water with a little shampoo and a dollop of toothpaste. It was the perfect combination, not too thick so it still got plenty of distance when squeezed out of the bottle, but tainted enough that if it hit, it stuck leaving a coconut-smelling sheen topped with a minty fresh zing. The conflict attracted a lot more attention now that it was no longer just the occasional kid with water down the back of his shirt. The teacher's security council gave a few kids detention, and we were all threatened with serious repercussions if the combat continued. Chemical warfare in the schoolyard was frowned upon. The game was over. One lunchtime, I'd retreat to the classroom to escape the conflict and finish some math homework I hadn't done the night before. A few minutes later, one of the other kids, Ben, came in too. Hey, toe-nose, he said. Get stuffed, Ben, I said. Original, he said. Original, like your nose. You only just worked out that my nose is like this? It's been obvious for a while, Ben said. No joke, I said. I don't know how you cope with a nose like that. It's all big and round and squishy. Really, I said. Taking a look at your own nose any time recently? It's pretty huge. He did, in fact, have a rather large nose. Ben scoffed something under his breath and walked out of the classroom. It wasn't the end of it, as far as I was concerned. Instead of finishing my homework, I grabbed an exercise book, ripped a page out, and set about drawing a portrait of Ben. In profile, it wasn't the most lifelike portrait, but I absolutely nailed one part of it, his nose. It took up half the page, emerging from his face like a massive mountain. I colored in his hair, drew on ears and lips, but the nose got special attention. It was a giant, pendulous, overpowering. I drew gaping nostrils, then held my artistic creation up and smiled. It was beautiful, but it was missing something, something to give it scale and put the size of the nose in context. I drew several spaceships entering and leaving his cavernous nostrils like they were docking at a spaceport. I titled it Spaceport Ben and slipped it into his desk. Proud of myself, I went to lunch and promptly forgot about it. 
As with such things, though, a day of reckoning was to come, and it reckoned soon enough. Later that week, I was called down to see Mr. Fuller, the deputy principal. Most of the school lived in a vague, unspecified fear of Mr. Fuller. He was the perfect second-in-command. He delivered the bad news when needed and administered a strict, no-nonsense form of discipline that mainly worked by keeping students so in fear of the threat of getting in trouble that they behaved. I had no idea what I was being called down for. What Michael and Gary had told me about the discipline at Iona started and stopped by the consequences of spitting, not what happened when you were called to the deputy principal's office. I sat waiting outside his office for a few minutes before I was called in. He sat behind a big desk, papers neatly piled on one side. On the wall, he had shelves with books and sporting trophies. Sit down, Robert. Yes, sir. Do you know why you're here? He asked. I wondered if it, it was meant to be like a confession at church, and I was supposed to say, Forgive me, Mr. Fuller, for I have misbehaved. It has been about 42 days since I last admitted to my bad behavior. Then I'd confessed to talking in class, answering back to teachers, swearing, not doing my homework, and a range of other sins. I settled for a simple, no, sir. I understand you and Ben have been having some disagreements, he said, that there's been some teasing going on. I relaxed. At least I wasn't getting in trouble, I thought. It was just teasing incident number 8024 and a long line of teasing incidents. I knew there would be more. It hadn't had much impact. Well, sir, it wasn't anything, really. Nothing that got me very upset, anyway. Settling scores in the deputy principal's office might seem like a good idea to some, but Dad had always taught me it was better to face things head-on. You might not always win, but getting someone else to fight your battles for you just encouraged more fights in the future. Unfortunately, I'd misunderstood what Mr. Fuller was saying. It's fine that you didn't find it very upsetting, Robert, but that doesn't mean Ben didn't, he said. It took a moment to sink in. I wasn't the teasee this time. Apparently, I was the teaser. Oh, okay. Not really okay, Robert, no, he said. I'd expect that you, more than most boys, would know how hurtful teasing can be. Yes, sir. I started to go red. Surely you know that it can be a very mean thing to pick on someone because of the way they look. Yes, sir. Was there a particular reason for what you did, what you drew? I thought about that for a moment. No, sir, I said. I made a note to never, ever draw anything again. Even if the spaceships going in and out of the nostrils did look cool and very funny. Well, Ben has been down here twice in the last two weeks very upset. Don't do it again. Yes, sir. Mr. Fuller waved me out of the door and sent me away with no further punishment than my shame and having missed lunch time. I was genuinely surprised to learn how much my drawing had upset Ben because I was teased so often myself and I became better and better at dealing with it as I got older. Sometimes it wasn't just kids who were cruel, though. Sometimes it was adults, and somehow that was much worse. In grade 10, we had to do a week of work experience to see what life was like in the adult world. I signed up to do work experience as a teacher. It was the default for a bunch of us. I didn't know why I chose it. I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a teacher, but it seemed as good a choice as any. Come work experience week, another boy and I were shipped off to a Catholic elementary school I'd never heard of. The week before, we'd all been given a lecture about taking the opportunity seriously and behaving appropriately. When we turned up at the school, we were neatly dressed and minding our manners. The two of us went to the administration block and waited outside the principal's office for what seemed like ages. Then she came out, introduced herself, and told us that I would be working with the grade seven class and the other boy would be working with a grade two class. At Iona, relief teachers, student teachers, and work experience kids were all fair game for students to pick on. But the kids at this school were just fine. 
The kids in the classroom were smart and engaged, and the kids in the playground were well-behaved. None of them said a thing about my funny face or my legs. I got the occasional stare from a student here or there, but nothing I wasn't used to. My biggest problem the whole week was correcting the grade 7 student spelling in class and trying to work out whether the proper spelling was potatoes or potatoes. Hint, it's potatoes with an E. The week sailed by and was capped off with half day Friday for us. I said goodbye to my grade 7 class and thanked the teacher who'd looked after me. Before I could go, though, I was sent to the principal's office. I thought maybe the other student and I were going to get a quick thank you, but he was nowhere to be seen. I waited outside the office for a few minutes before being called in. The school principal seemed nice enough. She was a well-spoken, middle-aged woman who seemed popular with the students. It would have been appropriate, she said without a hello, if we were warned before you came. I had no idea what she was talking about. Warned? I asked. Yes, warned, she said. She raised her voice slightly, like I was a kid in grade two. About you. About me? When you arrived on Monday, we had to quickly swap the class you'd be in. You were supposed to work with a grade two teacher. I wondered for a second whether kids in grade two would be tested on how to spell the plural of potato. My next thought was that until we'd arrived, we were just names on a piece of paper anyway, so it couldn't have been that hard to change. Then it dawned on me what she meant. She was talking about the way I looked. I hadn't given any thought before I arrived to what the younger kids might think of me. I doubt my teachers at Iona had either. I did okay there. Surely I'd do okay at another school. What was there to worry about? I didn't know what to say. I started to cry. I'm sorry, I said. Good, she said, and got up to open the door for me. I cried all the way across the school oval to where Dad was waiting to pick me up. I did my best to compose myself before I hopped in the car, but he knew something was going on and asked me what was wrong. I explained and then pleaded with him not to get out of the car and go give the principal a piece of his mind. And don't tell Mom either, okay? I can handle it. He thought about it for a minute, then decided it was up to me. Okay. It wasn't the last time I cried about the way I looked, but it was the very last time I apologized to anyone else for it.